All right, we'll eventually be in Acts chapter 2 at some point. If you want to find your place there, it's not too hard to find if you want to wait. But that's where we'll be at some point. At the outset of the new year, I felt led to preach a sermon series surrounding our theme, Believe to See, on Sunday nights as the Lord leads. And it's been an interesting year so far, to say the least. As a reminder, our theme is taken from Psalm 2713, which says, I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Throughout this series, there's been many twists and turns already because of how things have changed throughout this year. When we started the year, the thought process was, let's believe to see the goodness of the Lord in regards to going to two Sunday morning services because of the growth we were seeing and the momentum we were experiencing. But things shifted very quickly when COVID-19 started. I'm glad God knows the end from the beginning. Amen. Amen. I was certainly hoping for different results already. And yet God used that very weekend when all of this started to really kind of help us spread out into Sunday morning services. So it's really been a blessing. After the outbreak, the emphasis of this series was simply believing to see the goodness of the Lord and a return to normalcy. And I'm still believing to see that along with what our original vision was, but just to see a return to how things were, something that resembles normal. And then as things had appeared to be normalizing over the last two sermons in this series, I had preached on just seeing the vision again. Don't lose sight of the vision. Let's bring it back up before us. Let's stay on target. And I don't know when we're going to get through all this. I, I keep thinking we were nearing the end of this COVID-19 shakeup when we started to see a return of folks. And I just want to say, in, I don't have time to recap all that we've covered, but let's just keep believing to see what God can do through us and in us, in our church. And, you know, for me personally, it may not affect you quite as much, but for me personally, it's hard not to faint along the way. And that's what was left off the banners. But yet, let's not forget, David said, I basically said, I would have fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. So don't faint along the way, just keep pressing on. And I'm thankful that we've not had to shut our doors that's really been a huge blessing. It's, as you know, my intent to never do so. But we're not out of the woods yet, right? Cases in our county have kind of steadily gone back up again the last few days. And we're not seeing the end of the impact upon our church, as we know. And there's still going to be some time, maybe a lot of time, until we see a return to normalcy a return to the momentum we had heading into this year and in the month of January. But again, let's just stay faithful. Let's keep our eyes on God. Amen. Keep walking by faith. Amen. And we just need to trust God's timing in bringing the vision to pass, which I think is what I preached last time in this series. And let's never forget this. God is in complete control at all times. None of this surprised Him. He's still on the throne. All is well in his house. And we just have to trust that God does see the end from the beginning. 
And I'm trusting that through times of testing, through times of difficulty, on the other side of that are great blessings. And we see that in the Bible. I want to discuss tonight the one thing that COVID-19 has tried to rob us of. And outside of our love for Christ, it is one of, there, there are many things that make up a good and healthy church. It's one of the things that our church does well. It is one of our greatest attributes, and that is our fellowship. There are still some who can't be with us, and that's disheartening. We understand their position, but it, it's, it hurts because they're missing out on the blessedness of fellowship, which comes from the saints being able to assemble together. Would you agree it's a blessing to assemble together? Um, I'm glad we got the 830 crowd back for the night service. Yeah. 830 crowd, you guys are on. I don't know if you're drinking coffee and you're just wired. 11 o'clock, whoever was here in the 11 o'clock service, y'all were dead. It was brutal. So I'm glad the 830 crowd showed up. But they can't be with us. Others may be hesitant to stick around in fellowship the way we once did because of the virus. And I think we all understand that as well. And I do want to be clear, I don't blame any for whatever course of action they're taking right now. I think our country was rightly set up to begin with, and that is the people should have the right to govern themselves. And so you, sh- you have the right to decide how to handle things in your home. I'm not the priest of your home, amen? I don't blame anybody for what they do. I trust the Lord is leading each family in our church, each individual in our church, to do what is best for them concerning our gathering together during these unusual times. But I want to encourage you tonight to seek out those who cannot be here. Please, seek out those who cannot be here. Let them know either by letter, text, phone call, something, that you miss them, but that you understand their situation, but that you miss them and wish they could be here. And if you're able, have an in-person visit. That would be most beneficial if you could do that. And by the way, studies have shown that the brain reacts differently when you have person-to-person interaction than you do person-to-screen interaction. There's just something that's benefited from fellowship between individuals. And what's kind of interesting is with all these means to remain connected socially, social media we call it, we're actually becoming less social as far as our personal interaction with one another. And yet God has created us to be engaged with people. To have fellowship one with another. And I just want to encourage us to keep our fellowship with one another the best that we can. I don't know what that looks like through some of this. And if you're a creative person, let me know some creative ideas. Did you see how good the announcement slides look after Madison got a hold of them? That's creative. Did you see what I had? <laughs> Madison calls it, are you, are you like married to any of these slides? I was like, no. They're terrible. I'm not creative is all I'm saying. If you have creative ideas, let me know. I know nothing about Facebook. I know nothing about anything. Pretty much. And so... If you have any ideas on how we can do things a little bit differently, maybe a little bit better, I'm all ears. Because fellowship is what we need even more so during these times. And just as soon as we can get back to normal, we need to get back to fellowshipping 
the way we once did before this virus. Now, let me give you a quick disclaimer. Some of you know me from years past. I may not be the best person to speak about this because, believe it or not, I tend to be very introverted. I really do enjoy being alone. And as a result, all the various aspects of fellowship are not my area of expertise. We used to joke that we had to put a quarter in my fellowship meter just to get me to keep fellowshipping with people. And I don't know if introvert's the best word to use because I'm not necessarily shy, but I guess it depends on how one uses the word introvert. I thought of calling myself a a misanthrope, but that might be too extreme because I learned what that means is one who dislikes humankind. (laughs) One who avoids human society. And I thought, well, that's probably not very conducive for a pastor. So I thought maybe I could identify as a recluse. But to me, that seems depressing, like you don't enjoy being alone. So I thought maybe I could identify as a solitudinarian. There's a $5 word. You see what I get into when I study out in the garage? That makes sense because there are people who live a solitary life, but that kind of seems like the same as reclusive, so that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Then I found out there are people who are called ambiverts. Anybody ever heard of an ambivert? It's kind of weird talking about this because I feel like I'm choosing a gender. <laughs> um, but there are ambiverts. These are neither primarily extroverted or introverted, and they choose which situations they want to be introverted or extroverted. Basically, they can be a jerk and decide, I'll decide when I want to talk and when I don't. And I thought, that's me. I'm an ambivert ambivert jerk. Did you say amen? Yes. <laughs> Truth be told, I once took a personality test and this was the result of the test and it said you are an introverted jerk. True story. Uh, I'll be an ambivert with far leaning introvert tendencies. All right, so you may not view me as the best person to discuss fellowship is all I'm saying. Now, all kidding aside, the level of a church's fellowship is a good measure of a church's solidarity. Did you hear what I said? The measure of a church's fellowship is a good measure of a church's solidarity. I'm thankful for the dozens of preachers that have come through and have made comment time and time again about how there's just something different about this church. And they'll tell me afterwards, hey, people are sticking around talking. What's going on? Y'all having a fellowship afterwards? No, they're just fellowshipping afterwards. (laughs) Wow, they actually like each other? (laughs) I guess a lot of churches don't like each other. I'm thankful for that because it's really got me to kind of hone in on that particular aspect of our church. And, And it's an indication of a healthy church I recognize this critical area of our church has been hindered to some degree due to COVID-19. But I also recognize that it's been out of our control on a lot of this. And I want to take tonight to just say that I don't want us to lose sight of this valuable asset of our church. It's critical. If you happen to listen to other preachers during the week... (laughs) 
if you follow other ministries, then you've likely seen the main verse used in connection with the virus for churches who have had to shut their doors has been 1 Thessalonians 2.17, which says, But we, brethren, being taken from you for a short time in presence, not in heart, endeavored the more abundantly to see your face with great desire. That's been kind of the theme verse I've noticed out there among a lot of churches when they had to shut their doors. And though Paul had been forced from the presence of the believers in Thessalonica, he maintained a desire to be in their presence again during their times of separation. He endeavored abundantly, or he made the effort to be among them again. And there are those who cannot be here, and our heart and their heart needs to be, we want to be back together again. We want to be in each other's presence again. With, with great desire, we are endeavoring that we can be together again. We've been taken from each other right now. The next verse that Paul would write would say, we were going to come unto you, but Satan hindered us. I, th- I think of the furs who, while they were in Hawaii, after they've got delayed there for so long, I'd get a text from Brother Furs just talking about how he couldn't wait to be back in church, couldn't wait to be here, couldn't wait to get back. And that's what Paul is saying. I, I, I want to be with you. I can't right now, but my heart's desire is that I can be there and we can fellowship once again. And that's the kind of spirit we need to keep through all of this that we're going through right now. If our presence is taken away from one another, it should still be within our heart to get back together just as soon as we can. Now let's read Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. In Acts chapter 2, the Bible says in verse 42, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles, and all that believed were together and had all things common, and sold their possessions and goods, and parted them to all men as every man had need. And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily, such as should be saved. This early church in Jerusalem was a great church early on. Thousands were being saved. And we see what made them great in these verses I just read. And in verse 42, one thing they had was fellowship. It says they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. So what is fellowship? We could start simply by saying it's more than one person in the same ship. And just an interesting side note on that little thought, five times in our New Testament, the word minister is taken from the Greek word that means under oarsman. And so here we are to have fellowship and minister to one another. We, we serve one another. We're in fellowship with one another. When we all get in the same ship and we all decide to get below deck, grab an oar, and follow our captain, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, detail, who directs us where to row to. That's fellowship. 
Fellowship means to have joint participation. We're not a bunch of mavericks in here. We have entered into a partnership with one another is what it means. It means we have things in common, which is what the context is here in Acts chapter 2, because Acts 2.44 says the early church had all things common. And our goal is to walk in the same direction, heading for the same goal, and not just through assembling together on the Lord's day, but also through this Christian life, we are to help each other along life's way. It's more than just a church service. And that's why we have, to, we have to really look at things that we're going through today and we have to say, wait a minute, what did the churches do that didn't have a building? How did they do things then? Well, I just read to you what they did. But we get so hung up on this little assembling place, this facility, as being church. And we miss the fact that fellowship goes beyond just us in here a few hours a week. But that we need to be in fellowship. We need to have the kind of fellowship one with another that says, hey, I'm here to walk with you through this life and help you. Fellowship. The Christian life, for those who don't know this, the Christian life primarily takes place outside of this building. You understand, this is really just our rallying point. We come in here, we get exhorted. You know, we get fired up, we get recharged, and we go back out into a sin-sick world and we try to tell them about Christ. This is our rallying point. Now, I'm all for people getting saved and I preached a salvation sermon this morning. But that's not our primary reason for existence and assembling together. Assembling together is so that you and I can get encouraged and we can get out there and get back in the fight. So it's not just about the Lord's day, but what we see in this early church is they had a daily interaction with one another. Did you catch that? They had a daily interaction with one another. And I think we can say that their fellowship was in connection with their doctrine. Because look at verse 42 again. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. And then there's a comma, and in breaking of bread, and in prayers. The very structure of the sentence is showing us that their fellowship was based upon their doctrine. So here they are having daily fellowship. The, verse 46 said, they continued daily with one accord in the temple and from house to house. And here they are, they're continuing in what? What are they continuing daily? They're continuing steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. This is important how this is structured because our fellowship isn't just that we have fellowship, but it's that we have fellowship because of our spiritual likeness. Is everybody following me? Because of our spiritual likeness, we have fellowship one with... Without the spiritual aspect of fellowship, we're going to become nothing more than a social club. There's more to it than just great fellowship, but there's a spiritual component to it. So what should our fellowship center around in order for us to have the most beneficial fellowship we can have? Better stated would be, who should our fellowship be centered around? 
1 John chapter 1, verses 1-7 through 7 say, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen, with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. For the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness, and show unto you that eternal life, which was with the Father, and was manifested unto us. That which we have seen and heard, declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father, and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. This then is the message which we have heard of Him, and declare unto you that God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with Him, and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. I find this interesting. This has really helped me when I was studying this to bolster some areas that I have been convicted about. And, and I knew where I stood on it. This has just helped shore up some things. The standard for fellowship in the early church wasn't secular interest. It wasn't race. We tend to congregate with people of our same color. That's not what the Bible says to do. Amen. But it's because we have a certain comfort level that we want to maintain in our life. I wish we were exactly multiracial as we could be. And they didn't base their fellowship off of race. A lot of churches do that. It wasn't their occupation. It wasn't, well, you're an electrician and you're in construction and we can have fellowship because we have a common bond. There's nothing wrong with that, but that wasn't the basis. The basis of their fellowship wasn't their status. You ever notice how you have different class status churches? It's really interesting when you start to observe all this. And you find that there's churches out there who the doctor wouldn't come to a church like this, but he would go to a church like that over there. You understand what I'm trying to say? And it's just sporadic that you find these people in churches like this. It wasn't based on their education. Sometimes people don't want to be in a church where they feel like they're the dumbest or they want to be in a church where they feel like they're the smartest. That wasn't the basis of their fellowship. It wasn't their hobbies. It wasn't because they all like to play golf together. That would be the most fightinest church you've ever been a part of. You ever golf? I know you got an attitude if you've golfed before. The first century in that church, to have fellowship with one another from a Christian perspective was they had to share the same faith in Christ. That's what John wrote there in 1 John chapter 1 that ye also may have fellowship with us, that which we have heard and seen. We are telling you that because we want you to have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. And we maintain that fellowship when we walk in the light. And, and fellowship for that church was, do you know Christ as your Savior? How do you know Christ as your Savior? Did you add anything to your salvation? 
John says, I want you to fellowship with us, but it's going to have to be through the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is further biblical reasoning to be against the ecumenical movement of today. Ecumenicalism promotes cooperation and understanding among different religious denominations and teachings with the hopes that we can all just be kumbaya unified. What's kumbaya mean anyway? Am I saying something I shouldn't be saying? I don't know. But this isn't what the Bible teaches. These in the early church continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. Their fellowship lines were drawn along doctrinal lines about who Christ was and is and His free gift of salvation. And I know this isn't popular to make a stand on these things today, but it is a lack of standing for fundamental truths, fundamental doctrines which has led to corrupted doctrines, corrupted churches, and therefore corrupted fellowships. Let me show you the seriousness of this by giving you what the Apostle Paul wrote to the churches in Galatia. In Galatians chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. That means let him be damned. As we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that ye have received, let him be accursed. Let me be clear about something. Our fellowship isn't based upon the name on the sign out there. There's some bad independent Baptist churches. There's some good non-independent Baptist churches. But I'm talking about a very definite... I'm talking about those doctrinal positions where the, the way of salvation has been corrupted. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? Look, I don't care if the church down the street sings it different than we sing it. I don't care if they preach it in a different tone and a different style. What I'm talking about is have they added to the way of salvation? That's what Paul was preaching against because the Judaizers had come in there and said, that's great that you have Christ, but if you want to complete your salvation, you need to be circumcised. And they were adding to faith in Christ for salvation. And I know this causes heartburn for some, but I cannot in good conscience align this church to fellowship with those churches that add to Christ's finished work on the cross. I could not do that and send you somewhere where they're going to say, have you spoken an unknown tongue yet? Did you get baptized for your salvation? Are you doing enough good works? I can't do that. Now, I'm not saying we shun anybody. Uh, that's, not, that's not my style. We don't need to be unfriendly to anybody. We don't need to get puffed up with pride. There's nothing wrong with having those associations, and I do. How else are we going to reach them if we don't have some sort of contact? But I'm talking about we cannot corporately embrace that. Because the basis of our fellowship is Christ. His free gift of salvation. And if I ever invite somebody up here to stand in this pulpit and preach that preaches a different gospel, you need to run me out of here. Amen. You better know where you stand on these things because it's happening. It's happening in independent Baptist churches where just because somebody has a name and a reputation, let's bring them in 
Because I think our people can benefit. Whoa, 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 whoa. Where does he stand fundamentally? What is the basis of our fellowship? It's Christ. And so we cannot align with those who embrace false doctrines corporately. You say, boy, that sure is narrow-minded. And I say, yeah, it is, but it's Bible. If you don't believe me, listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 7, 13, and 14. Enter ye in at the straight gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life. And few there be that find it. Few there be that find it. And when we decide to corrupt that way, and we make that narrow way more wide, what we're doing is we're giving credence to people to say, no, your teaching's okay, and you're going to be alright in the end. But wait a minute, that's not what the Bible says. There is a narrow way. It's through the blood. Amen. I told myself I wasn't going to preach. So the biblical basis of our fellowship being tied in with our doctrine forces me to reject the ecumenical movement of our day. Amen. The foundation of our fellowship is right doctrine about Christ. The truth is, and I... I want you to get this because I believe this with all my heart. I think it is so beneficial to the child of God. The truth is, our best fellowship ought to be with those within the household of faith. Which means those who have united as a church body have done so by saying, we agree on these set of fundamental truths, and therefore as a church, we are going to immerse ourselves in fellowship one with another. If you'll examine your fellowship, think in your mind right now, who you fellowship with, you'll know where your heart's at. You'll know where your heart's at. This is what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 6, 14-16. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. By the way, that's not a marriage verse. That's where we often apply it, and that's fine to make that application. Do not be unequally yoked with non-believers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with the idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And after that, the Bible is going to say, wherefore come out from among them and be ye separate. Those words being yoked, fellowship, communion, concord, part, agreement, they all are giving us the same idea. This partnership in life. And if you say you're a Christian, but your fellowship is with those who are unrighteous, those who live in darkness, those who worship false gods, then it's time to do a gut check. First, you need to see whether you be in the faith. If your fellowship, and listen, I'm, I'm drawing a line, a distinction between friendship and fellowship. I understand having acquaintances and friends that we are trying to reach for the, for the Lord because they're lost and they need to say, I understand that. I'm talking about who you hanging out with. Who's your fellowship with? You understand most people got 
hooked up with liquor because they started hanging out with people who were drinking? Not every time, but most times. You understand somebody typically gets hooked up on drugs because they got hooked up with somebody who was hooked up on drugs? You understand that womanizing and adultery and fornication happens because people decide to hook up and say, I don't care what the Bible says. Is everybody with me? Who do you fellowship with? If you are saved and that's who you're fellowshipping with, you need to sever the wrong kind of fellowship tonight. You say, but they're going to think I'm weird. Yep. You need to sever those wrong relationships. Replace them with godly fellowships. Because who you fellowship with often drives your actions. So who you yoked up with? Who do you most associate with? Now, don't put words in my mouth and say that I'm against trying to reach the lost through relationships. I keep hammering this because I know somebody's going to try to accuse me of it. I am saying that your source of fellowship needs to be from fellow believers within our church body. I mean that plain and simple. But what I'm trying to tell you right now is who are you hanging out with on Friday night? Saturday night. That's going to drive your actions. These are two important areas we need to understand when it comes to proper fellowship. Our fellowship needs to be based upon right doctrine and our fellowship needs to be with fellow believers. This should be our desire. Now, why is fellowship such a good measure of a church's unity? Well, for starters, the question is posed in Amos 3.3, can two walk together except they be agreed? When our fellowship is built upon the foundation of right doctrine, then it means there are two or more people in agreement with one another. We're saying we agree. We're, we're fellowshipping. We're walking together. And notice in our text that they continued in doctrine and fellowship. And in verse 44, they had all things common. And in verse 46, they continued daily with one accord and singleness of heart. Their right doctrine led to right fellowship, which led to unity. Now, a church can have right doctrine and not have fellowship. A church can have right doctrine, but not have unity. You've heard the saying before, no one cares how much you know until they know how much you care. A lot of people could care less if you're right about the Bible, if you're a jerk, if you're an ambivert jerk. Uh, I'm having fun up here tonight. And, And while you can have right doctrine, but have no fellowship or unity, you cannot get to unity without fellowship. And you cannot have right fellowship without right doctrine. I hope you can see the progression here. And and the reason and emphasis upon fellowship is so important for a church body is because one of the primary reasons people say they leave church, this is always in the top 10 lists that are out there, always you'll find this, I never felt connected. You ever have somebody tell you that? Some people say, well, that church was too big for me and I just didn't feel connected. Did you know there's no such thing as a church that's too big? Show me that in the Bible. And I'll show you a church in the first century that had 8,000 people within about two or three chapters. 
There is no, thing, no such thing as a church that's too big. We often say that, but it's not biblical. A church only seems too big when there's no connecting with one another. Is everybody getting this? Because this is important as our church. When there's no connecting with people, that's what people will tend to say. And when no one reaches out to make a new friendship, or when someone refuses to allow another one into their little circle, this this is my little circle of believers. We're the 20-somethings. We're of my chavas. And you don't let people into that inner circle. They're going to look for something else somewhere else. And by the way, there's no such thing as a church that's too small either. Feeling connected and accepted has nothing to do with the numerical size of a church. Because you can feel disconnected and you can feel unaccepted in a church of only 20 stuck-up snobs who don't want you there. A church only feels too big when it's not welcoming to others. A church only feels too small when it's not letting other people in. And it all comes down to fellowship and our friendships. And no matter where you fall on the fellowship spectrum. Listen, we're, we're all different. I get that. No matter where you fall on that, we all like the feeling of being accepted. And I want you to keep this in mind when new people show up. For those of you who were here at the 830 service. Did you notice the visitor this morning? Did you go talk to them? You understand what I'm saying? And maybe you all did. I don't know. I don't keep an eye on those things. I wonder how many talked to our visitor this morning in the 830 service. We had some visitors in the 11 o'clock from out of town, but... Did you know that getting people to church isn't the problem? It's getting people to stay in church that's the problem. We have never had a shortage of visitors. At least since I've been back. So how's your fellowshipping? Are you helping to make newcomers feel welcome and accepted? I want you to go out of your way. This is why we have a time where we can greet one another. So you can go seek out a visitor and say, man, I'm glad you're here. Are you, are you doing that? Fellowship gives people the sense of belonging to something more than just dogma and creed. We understand that this virus is causing unusual circumstances and our traditional methods of fellowshipping are being hindered. But I just want to say tonight, let's never allow our fellowship to be cut off. Let's keep our heart for fellowship like we had before the virus. Let your best friends be from within this body of believers if you're a member here. And reach out to those who can't be here right now. I really hated we had to cancel our Memorial Day picnic this year because we couldn't reserve a spot to go. Because it's always good for church folks to get together. I hate that we had to cancel that and due to the city ordinances. It, listen, it'll be good if you can go to men and boys camp out. Fellowship. And you need to go ahead and take off for family camp. You need to be there. 
Listen, let me go ahead and chase this rabbit down while it's on my mind. Here's what people tend to do is they say, well, I went to this church and nobody, nobody liked me. Did you ever get involved? Did you ever get involved? You see, it goes both ways. And listen, when people are new and they're visitors, those are the ones that we need to seek out. We need to try to make them feel well. We need to do everything we can. But at some point, they're going to have to take a leap as well and say, hey, who are you? And I'm never going to feel sorry for the one that leaves out of here and says, nobody cared for me and I never felt connected. I'm going to say, how long have you been coming here? About a year. Have you ever gone to anything other than a Sunday morning service? No. Okay then, what's your problem? Man, this is a Sunday night crowd. Y'all ought to be saying, amen, preacher. I just get tired of hearing that excuse. Had a good friend leave here and he said, uh, nobody, nobody cared. I said, that's a lie. That's a lie. You've been here for years. You know better than that. Anyway, Satan works on people's minds. It's good to have fellowship. Fellowship will keep this church strong at all times. But it'll especially help through this virus outbreak. And I don't want to see anybody lost along the way. And, I, and I'm afraid that's going to happen. I don't want to see that. And what will happen is people will drop out because during this time they'll say, nobody ever contacted me. Therefore, they are left to conclude that nobody there likes me. I don't know if this is in my notes coming up or not, but let me just say this while it's on my mind. One thing this virus outbreak has showed me is my wife and I cannot do this on our own. There is no way I've been able to keep up with everybody, and we have tried. Calls, letters, text, try to reach out and show up, try to write down who we contact and when, and when this and when that. Listen, it's too much for one person. It's too much. I need your help. If we're going to get through this virus and keep everybody we had when we went into this virus, it's going to take you reaching out to those people and saying, hey, we miss you. We understand. Is there anything we can do for you? You understand where my heart's at tonight? Listen, weakness develops when fellowship ceases. That was cool. Let me say that again. Weakness develops when fellowship ceases. Put that on a t-shirt. Yeah, you know where I was going with that. I was about to get with it. About to drop a beat in here. Fellowship ceases. <laughs> I always think of the footage of the pack of wolves taking down a buffalo. Wolves don't pick off the mature adult buffalo. They pick off weak buffalo or new Buffalo. Are you hearing what I say? Because we're going to end on this and you need to get this. They go after the sick and the new. It's interesting to watch this footage, and I'm sure you've all seen footage of some animal type doing this, where they will go after their prey and they will little by little try to nip one back until it finally gets to the point where it's being drawn away from the herd. And there'll be one adult buffalo come over and they'll try to do business, but against a pack of eight to 12 wolves, eventually they're going to fall and they're going to have to leave that weak one there in order to save their life. And they're going to feast on that one that they were able to take away from the herd. All because they got isolated. And they were easy pickings as a result. 
And when we allow people to become isolated because we don't fellowship with them, they will drift from the herd of this church body and the enemy will swarm around them like a pack of wolves. Take them down because they have become vulnerable without the church body surrounding them. I guess what I'm saying is we don't just need to do church together. We need to do life together. And we're seeing that now. We're seeing it played out now. We're seeing what happens when not everybody can be here. It's not just about coming in here together, but this church body is about meeting the needs of those who can't be here as well. Let's not let people become isolated. We can get really good at sitting in the same place and parking in the same spot week after week. And I'm not against that. I actually kind of like being able to look up and go, bam, there's Justin DeGarmo. Chavez moved around more than anybody I know. (laughs) But we get real good at just whoever we're sitting in front of and behind. That's who we know. I know know those people around me. That's all I know. That's all I need to know. But we need to venture outside of that little realm. We need to venture beyond that. We need to find those who are, are visiting, those who are new, those who need help, those of you who have discernment. You have the gift of discernment and you can see somebody and you say, man, something just doesn't look right on their countenance. You need to be the one that goes to them and say, hey, is everything okay? And in closing, let me just say, let's never lose our love for fellowship with one another. Let's never lose that. I jokingly call about three of you the black hole. Because you can't get away from them. They'll talk to you all night. And I say that very jokingly because it is a very needed part of this ministry. The Bible consistently mentions the need for us to be connected with one another. Here's just a quick sampling that I came up with in a very quick look. We are to love one another, speak one to another, ask each other about our welfare, prefer one another, receive one another, greet one another, serve one another, be kindly affectioned one to another, submitting ourselves one to another, confess our faults one to another, use hospitality one to another, minister to one another, forgive one another, teach and admonish one another, comfort one another, exhort one another, consider one another, bear one another's burdens. And you can't do that unless you're fellowshipping. Developing friendships along the way. Relationships where you get to know people and you become personally invested in their life. Who are you investing in in our church? If you were to look around in your mind's eye on a Sunday morning and say, who used to sit around here but isn't here right now? That's who I need to call. That's who I need to try to contact. I need to try to be a blessing to them. I need to see if they need anything. I need to see, I need them to know that we miss them, that we know that they were here and that they're not here. We, they need to know those things. So for tonight, let's believe to see a return to fellowship the way it was before this virus outbreak. Let's pray.